0: For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, afterward, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to, the, to God the Father, When he abolishes all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For God has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything is put under him, it is obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. When everything is subject to Christ... Then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him, so that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what will they do who are being baptised for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, then why are people baptised for them? Why are we in danger every hour? I face death every day. As surely as I may boast about you, brothers and sisters, in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus as a mere man, what what good did that do me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Come to your senses and stop sinning, for some people are ignorant about God. I say this to your shame.
1: Well, good morning. It's great to see you all here. Well done for getting your clocks right and uh, turning up this morning. And uh, if it does start to heat up to the predicted 35 degrees, don't worry. The air conditioning will keep us at 22.5. So uh, that's good news. Let me pray. Lord, thank you that we can be here. Please help me to speak clearly now. And please, by your Holy Spirit, Write your word in our hearts so that we might know the future and live in light of it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start today by saying something that's so obvious that I hardly need to say it. But it's so important and often dangerously ignored that I need to say it. Here it is The future shapes our present. Now, we actually know this and live by it every day. We heard the forecast. Most of us are dressed for hot weather today. Uh, We know when to do our washing and when to put it off till the next day. Uh, We know when an exam is coming, and we've got to get ready, hopefully study and prepare for it. We know that guests are coming to stay, and so we stock up the fridge and we clean up all the mess around the house ready for the guests to arrive. When we know... What's going to happen in the future? We get ready for it now. It makes sense, doesn't it? The wise person lives in light of the future. The foolish person knows the future but ignores it and lives as though it will never happen. Well, in the Bible, God has given us his long-term plan for the future. We're reading through this great chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and uh, it's all about the resurrection of the dead and the difference that it makes now. Now, when we're talking about the resurrection of the dead, uh, as we started looking at last week, our minds go straight away to Jesus' resurrection. That's the resurrection, isn't it? 2,000 years ago, that's not the future. But this chapter is actually about the final resurrection of the dead, when every man, woman, and child is raised from the dead to stand before God on the judgment day and be separated into our eternal destinies. That's what we're talking about in this chapter. We're talking about the future, and this is a big thing, isn't it? And as we saw last week, it, is, it can be a very hard thing for us to really believe. Last week, we saw in verse 12 that there were some people in the city of Corinth who were saying there is no resurrection of the dead. What we have now is all there is. Make the most of it. But uh, in our chapter, the Apostle is addressing this problem. Last week, we looked at uh, the first 19 verses and we saw that we must believe in the resurrection because the Christian faith is based on a resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus. And without the final resurrection, Christianity crumbles. Verses 12 to 19, uh, he puts the hypothetical. What if there's no resurrection from the dead? Well, that means not even Christ was raised. It means Christian preaching is useless. Your faith is a waste of time. Uh, We're still in our sins. Dead people who, who who are Christians are not going to be raised, and we are to be pitied more than anybody as Christians if the resurrection is not true. He gave us the negatives. But in verse 20, there is a turning point. He says, but as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. And then he's going to go on and positively spell out the implications of that, the difference that it's going to make to the future. And so here's our two points for this morning's talk. First, we know the future, verses verses 20 to 28. We're going to see uh, and be reminded what the future is. And then in verses 29 to 34, he spells out the difference that it makes. So we've got the what and the so what this morning. So firstly, the what. Since Jesus has been raised, uh, what does this mean for the future? And uh, it's big. It's very big. The main idea is that since Jesus has been raised, we all will be raised. The general resurrection will certainly come. But not only that, as you heard in the reading, he goes beyond that to speak about God's promised perfect kingdom, the new creation. He's going to come. It all starts in verse 20, though, with a very simple illustration. As it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, and he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Those who have fallen asleep are not what I hope won't happen to you later in this sermon, uh, just nodding off for a nap. It's referring to Christians who have died. And he uses the language of falling asleep because he believes that one day they're going to wake up and be raised from the dead. So he's saying uh, Jesus who died and was raised from the dead is the first fruits of us all who die and will be raised from the dead. Uh, the idea of first fruits was part of ancient Israel, the law that God gave them. When a, the harvest was coming and the crop was about to be uh, brought in, the first fruits were to be offered to God as in thanks and praise for the harvest that was to follow. You see, there's a link. The first fruits means the rest is coming. Uh, It happens in our world too. Uh, This is a photo from last November, 21st of November last year. And uh, every year at the Sydney markets, uh, when the cherry season gets underway, they auction a box of cherries, the first box of cherries that's come down from Young or wherever, and they have a charity auction. And that box of cherries last year sold for, wait for it, $80,000. I think some of them made their way through to my fruit shop uh, because the price of cherries uh, kind of is a bit like that. But uh, this is the first fruits of the crop that of cherries that is to come. And that's how Paul says we should understand Jesus' resurrection. It guarantees that the rest will follow. But you might ask, well, how do we know this is the case? Why does this mean that we know the future? Just because something happened in the past, why does that tell us That something else is going to happen in the future couldn't that just have been a one-off well the Apostle Paul goes on and explains further and it's as if as he goes through the following the next verses he pans the camera back to see a bigger picture that this was actually one step in God's great big plan for all time and eternity and uh, that's how he, he goes and he, he, uh, you can see how there's, at verse 21, it starts with a four. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So he goes and says, hey, listen, there are two men at the head of two humanities in the world. There is Adam. He was the first man. We've all been born into his family. He was a natural man, a physical man. But he had the opportunity in the Garden of Eden to have eternal life and never die. But he blew it, didn't he? He rebelled against God and sin came into the world and death. And ever since, everyone who's been born down the years has followed in his footsteps. Also sinned and we all die. That's the human race. But there's hope. Because God sent someone else into the world, another man, Jesus, Jesus Christ, and he never sinned, but he died. How can that be? Well, that's because he was dying in our place. He was dying to pay the price in full that we sung about before. He died to set us free from the sentence of death because of our sin in Adam. And so God raised him from the dead, and God uh, has now uh, invites us to come to him unite ourselves to him so that his resurrection will be shared with us we can have new life we can be forgiven for our sins we can have the certain future hope of resurrection from the dead just like it says there verse 22 as in adam all die so also in christ all those who've actually received jesus And his death and his resurrection for them will be made alive in the future. That's the promise. You see, he's saying Jesus has been raised, but that wasn't just one man, something that happened. This was God's great big plan to save people from death forever. And that means we know the future. Jesus has been raised, but we need to make sure we get it in the right order there's the two men Uh, we've got to get it in the right order see verse 23 Christ the first fruits afterward at his coming those who belong to Christ when Jesus returns that means that's what it's talking about at his coming that's when the resurrection will happen and those who have received him will be raised and take our place uh, to live in the new creation You see, this chapter is not so much about only Jesus' resurrection or even me and what's my future in life after death. It's actually panning back to see a great big plan of God of which Jesus' resurrection is a crucial point and his return is the next crucial point. Do you see that? But if that's not big enough to blow your mind, it gets bigger still. In verses 24 to 28, the the camera pans back even more and we see the end come, the ultimate grand plan of God. And again, we've got two steps here. Step one is what's happening right now. Jesus, God's king, is ruling uh, from heaven and he is saving people. One by one, people are coming to acknowledge that Jesus is God's king who died for them. They're becoming Christians. They're being born again into the new life that we can have in Christ. One by one, millions and millions of people down the ages and all around the world. This is what God is doing in the time between Jesus' resurrection and his return. He's gathering this people who will be raised in the end and be the people that he shares eternity with. This is what is happening in this time. And Jesus uh, is bringing everything under his rule Uh, even uh, at the end when he returns every power and authority notice what it says there look at verse 24 Then the end then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to god the father we'll come to that that's step two when he abolishes all rule and all authority and power notice the all all rule, all authority, all power, any power that there is that stands opposed to God and his perfect kingdom is going to be abolished. Any evil force, any individual who resists God's rule of his king Jesus will be swept away. And verse 26, the last enemy to be abolished is death. Yes, one day that enemy that stalks us, that grieves us, that haunts us is going to be abolished once and for all. No more tears, no more death. It's going to be wonderful. Jesus is going to destroy death. And it has to be that way because how can we live forever if death is still around? That's what Jesus is going to do. And... uh, There's confirmation of that with two quotes from scripture. One's in verse 25 from Psalm 110 about God's Messiah. He must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. And from Psalm 8 in verse 27, uh, the, the, the man, Jesus, God has put everything under his feet. Here is what's going on. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow every tongue will confess that he is Lord. We have the opportunity to do it now and joyfully come to him and be, belong to him and be raised with him and rejoice on that day or we'll be dragged kicking and streaming on that day to submit to him and acknowledge that he is Lord. We'll be part of the opposition, the enemies that are destroyed. That's what's going on Now, but it gets even bigger. Step two of this is that, uh, well, we've seen actually all the enemies, that's part of, that's step 1A, all the enemies will be abolished. There'll be no more sin and death. A wonderful prospect. But uh, step two is that Jesus is going to hand over this whole kingdom that he has established to his father, to God the father. Now, that's a big thought, isn't it? We're talking about the inner kind of life of god the trinity into eternity but it said told that twice once in verse 24 then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to god the father and once in verse 28 when everything is subject to christ then the son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him so that god may be all in all now it's hard to know exactly what this means doesn't it but it's a beautiful picture Our Lord Jesus is not a tyrant who just rules for his own benefit. Ultimately, he's on about the glory of God and restoring things to the way that they should be so that all things are under the source of all things, God himself. And all things give glory to the creator and the sustainer of all things, God the Father, and Jesus includes himself in that so that God might be all in all. That's as close as I can get to what that might mean. It's big. The ultimate good. So what does all of this mean? Remember where we started. Christ has been raised from the dead. So what does this mean? Well, it means he's the first fruits of the resurrection. It means that God's great plan is in motion. It's happening. We know the future. We too will be raised. God will abolish all his enemies and uh, establish his rule for all eternity and finally restore things to the way they should be. Here is the future. We don't need a crystal ball to know the future. We don't even need GPT to kind of analyse what all the websites say about the future. We've been told the future by God. And it's been confirmed to us by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Last week I asked the question... Christians, do you really believe this future? So that it's real for you. I know that it's going to be 35 degrees today, I can plan for that. I know that m- my mum's coming to visit in a couple of weeks. I've got to get the garden sorted out because I know she'll be looking. You know. <laughs> Christmas is coming up, we've got to get organized, we've got to plan for next year. We we know how to plan for the future. This is the most certain, most real, biggest ever future thing that you could know about. The wise person lives in light of the future. The fool knows the future, but doesn't take it into account in how they live. It makes a big difference when you believe the future that God has promised to us, which I know that you know. Let's move to the second point then, the difference that it makes. Paul uh, whips through three kind of implications here about living in light of the future, down in verses 29 to 34. And this is the... Don't worry, there's not an extra bit this week. These are the applications for us, if you like. The first one's in verse 29, and he uh, says uh, to the Corinthians, look, you guys already know something about this future because of your practice. But it is a tricky practice. Uh, He says people are baptised for the dead, verse 29. Otherwise, what will they do who are being baptised for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, then why are people baptised for them? Now, uh, when you read the commentaries, uh, it's a pretty scary prospect because there's more than 30 or 40 different options about what this might mean. Well, not only about options, that's not true. Speculations about what this might mean. Um, but, you know, the most obvious one, it seems to be saying that perhaps someone was a Christian who's died, but they weren't baptised before they were, they died. And so... Uh, Someone else is baptised instead of them, kind of vicariously for them. It could be that. Uh, That would be a fairly dodgy practice because uh, you can't kind of pour water on someone. That's going to change someone else's eternal destiny, can you? But, and Paul doesn't say, yes, this was a good thing or a bad thing. He just says, you obviously believe that there's something really important about life beyond the dead and the resurrection of the dead and so look what you're doing another way of thinking of it is the dead uh, being there baptized for the dead it might not be those who physically died but those who were spiritually dead you know Ephesians chapter 2 and those who aren't Christians are in Adam we're dead in our transgressions and sins we need to be born again we need new life And the practice of baptism is a wonderful symbol of God giving people new life. We had the great joy of baptising Julia here only a few weeks ago. What a great joy because she has crossed from death to life and so we baptised her. Maybe it's just as simple as that. He's talking about being baptised for the dead so that they'll be alive. He's talking about people becoming Christians. But whatever the case, the important point here is that these people in Corinth we were doing something in their church practice that said there really is a resurrection from the dead and so we're going to operate on that basis. They were living in light of the future. We might ask ourselves the same question. Why do we run a kids' club uh, in the school holidays? Because we desperately want to see children move from death in Adam to life in Christ. Why do we run our life course and our All for Jesus night, and do all the things that we do. Why do we pray continually for people in our suburb to come to know Jesus? Because we believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. That's why we do these things. It's not just because Ross had a great idea that he should do this and, you know, we've got to put the, wave the big stick. It's because we really believe in the future, in heaven and hell. And so he says, why would you people baptise for the dead if you didn't believe in that? Then he talks about himself. He talked about something that they're doing and then he says something about that he and others like him are doing. Why are we in danger every hour? I face death every day. As surely as I may boast about you, brothers and sisters, in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus as a mere man... What good did that do me? Here is a man who lives a radical life. He was in danger every day. He got shipwrecked, he got beaten up, he was persecuted in all kinds of ways. Why would someone live such a crazy, crazy life? If we only live for life in this world, that'd be stupid, wouldn't it? You've got to protect your life because once you lose it, it's gone. Uh, If you just live for this life, then you've got to follow the slogan at the end there of verse 32. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. You've got to ignore the future and just go for as much pleasure as you can in the moment. You'd be preserving your life at all costs. You'd be afraid of dying. You'd have a bucket list. And your whole purpose in life is to tick off as many things on the bucket list as you could. That's how you live if you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Uh, You might follow the uh, other slogan that used to be popular in our time. YOLO. You only live once. So you've got to experience all you can while you can. And uh, you'd have to say, if there's no future there's no resurrection that that makes a lot of sense if the future is you die and that's it well you do only live once you better make the most of it and there's some truth in that at one level in this world life is short but we know there's a much bigger picture don't we yolo is wrong we should be following yolt you only live twice (laughs) once now for a very short time And once for all eternity you've got all eternity to see the world you don't have to do it all now you've got all eternity to enjoy the blessings of god now is the time now is the time when we're getting ready for the future now is the time when we are coming under the lordship of jesus and seeking to bring all for christ jesus so that they might share in the future with us do you see we don't only live once we live twice We want to help as many as we can to live twice as well. This is why 60 people give up time during this coming week for the school holiday kids' program, isn't it? Kids' club. This is why we privately, maybe no one else sees, wrestle in prayer. This is why we sacrifice ourselves to... And other good things we could be doing to to go and teach scripture. This is why we prioritize putting time into people to help them live the Christian life. This is why we give our money for the Lord's work. The world would say you're stupid, just pamper yourself with that money and do what you want with it for yourself but if you believe in the resurrection, then you see there's a higher priority than life is not about me. We live in light of the future. The resurrection makes all the difference in the world. And the last uh, implication is uh, a bit more direct. Now he's been saying, look at these two examples, what you Corinthians are doing, how I'm living my life, but now he says directly to them, Don't be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. Come to your senses and stop sinning. For some people are ignorant about God, and I say this to your shame. I think he's saying some of you are ignorant about God. And uh, he's saying to them, come to your senses. The the word translated come to your senses could also be to sober up, to wake up. Wake up from your stupor. Uh, The future is real. Jesus will return. The resurrection of the dead will happen. The judgment day will come. The destruction of all the enemies of God, it will happen. The eternal kingdom. Wake up, people, and see the future. Stop sinning. I do know what he means when he says stop sinning there. Uh, you could think at a kind of high level, if you're not yet a Christian, there's no more serious sin than to, uh, to actually reject the king that God has appointed for you who even died for you for you to say no i don't want to uh, i don't want jesus as my king if you're here this morning and that's you then this is how you need to stop sinning you need to give your allegiance to king jesus and receive his forgiveness and a new life what a wonderful offer that he has for you stop sinning come to your senses become a christian But maybe you can think also of, uh, you know, when it says stop sinning, we think about our own sins, don't we? The things that we do that we know are inconsistent with Jesus' lordship. Uh, We think about the sexual sins. We think about the greed. We think about the way we treat each other. There will be all kinds of things flowing into our minds. And I hope that as Christians, you are wrestling with those and trying to stop. We'll keep going. Because these things are inconsistent with what you believe. There will be a judgement day when all our sins will be exposed. Yes, there's forgiveness in Christ, but he's also the Lord. And we want to please him. Stop sinning. But I actually think it's something different. Both of those are good applications. But I actually think the sinning that he's talking about here is actually the sin of the people in this chapter who are saying there's no resurrection of the dead. They are, uh, perhaps you pick this up from verse 33, don't be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. You see, if you hang around with, if you are consumed by the culture around you that says you only live once, eat, drink, and I always want to say be merry, but it doesn't say that. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. This life is all there is. Well, just party on. Just make the most of it for yourself. But if you hang around with bad company who don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, if you let that influence you, then it's going to affect your morals. All through this letter of 1 Corinthians, we see that being worked out. There's plenty of sin in these people's lives. The sexual sin, the way that they didn't care about each other when they came to church. They thought it was all about me and my experience rather than love and building others up. You see, when you believe in the resurrection, it changes everything. Come to your senses and stop sinning. Stop following the people of our world who live the YOLO life. The culture all around us says, this is just pie in the sky when you die. Don't worry about it. Live for the moment. That's what the culture says, isn't it? What really matters is how you feel right now. And the pleasure that you can have in your life between now and when you die. But God says, stop sinning if you think like that. Come to your senses. Don't be ignorant about God. Because there's a much bigger plan. Wake up. See, we know the future. And we know that it makes a big difference to us now. It's so obvious that I hardly need to say it but it's so important and so often ignored that we've got a whole chapter in the Bible on it to help us. The wise person lives now in light of the future. The foolish person knows the future, but ignores it and lives as though it doesn't exist. Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for your word to us in 1 Corinthians 15. Lord, it's hard for us to believe this wonderful, massive picture of the future that you have planned and put into effect when Jesus was raised from the dead. Lord, please help us. Let this be real to us so that we might stop sinning, so that we might live now in light of this reality. Please, Lord, let this shape our practices. Please let it shape our hearts and the things that matter to us. And please let it shape uh, our lives in the things that we do and don't do. Lord, help us to be alert to the culture around us that says this life is all there is so that we won't be swept along on that tide but that we will indeed be different and live as your people in this world waiting expectantly for the return of our Lord, and we ask it in his precious name.